Hello and welcome to the Catalyst podcast. My name is Ken Valady, partner and co-founder of Progressive, and this is a podcast series about the power of startup corporate partnerships and how, if carefully managed, they can become a true catalyst for change for the future. Every episode, I will interview either a startup founder or an industry leader who have experienced the benefits of these partnerships firsthand and are willing to discuss and share their key learnings and insights. This week is our last episode of the series. It's episode 15, and I'm really pleased to be speaking to Caroline Gross, who is the founder of Smartser. And I've been trying to get Caroline on the show for some time now, so it's great to have you on, Caroline, and, and welcome to the show. Thank you. No problem at all. So while we've got you, Caroline, um, can you give our listeners a little bit of information about yourself and your journey today and your role at Smartser? Yes, yeah, so I started working on a concept of interactive video initially in a slightly different format about six, seven years ago. And over the years, we've now developed it into a software as a service platform that's used by uh, luxury brands to make their videos interactive and shoppable across their websites, social media and video ads. Superb. But I, I, you know, I've seen Smarts grow over the last few years. Can you give a bit more detail, Caroline, on some of the brands that you're, you're working with? Yes. So a lot of the client base has been in the fashion luxury vertical like Valentino, Dior, uh, also Missoni, JD Sports. And recently, actually, we've also worked with some car companies like BMW, for example, as well. And how long have you know, some of these relationships you have now, Caroline, how long have they been going? Are they, are they now quite established? Yes, I think the big change that we've had in the business as well has been moving from what we started off doing which was kind of one-off interactive video projects into shifting the company into a subscription-based model so now the relationships are quite different in a sense of an ongoing uh, rather than projects whenever the campaigns are happening and that seems to be the thing now doesn't it startups you know rightly so are looking to go to a subscription-based model SaaS model have you got any tips or, or any learnings from how you made that transition from selling a campaign solution to selling an ongoing solution? The transition was actually quite difficult because we had done the campaigns before, because obviously no one really wants to commit if you don't have to. So it's quite hard to suddenly say, well, we don't offer the project things anymore, um, where our product is still quite tied into campaigns, which are project based. So it's been Initially, it was quite difficult. Now getting easier because the volume of content becomes a lot more frequent, but not not the easiest change to make. But one you've glad you've made by the sounds of it. Yes. And do you think companies generally, corporates generally, are, are seeing the benefits of this longer term partnership more? Because I can see not just from the, the you know what they see in the tangible output they get from working with someone like you, but also from having a longer term partnership, they have for want of a better term, a, an ongoing partner to work with and to bounce ideas off? Yes, definitely. And we even see that reflected in our results. So if companies are using their technology across all of their content, the results go up in terms of the key KPIs as well. And I think there's also a big shift in the mindset of how you work with them. Because if you work on a campaign, you probably work in one singular isolated team whereas now we are much more embedded within the business across the different departments as well excellent and and just thinking on that caroline you know you've changed over time the products evolved and and you've changed your approach and you've gone from one-off to ongoing service have you got any 
learnings from that any best practice from that to help build these relationships with with clients going forward uh what we still what we still do see i think working with corporates even with the subscription model it's it's quite difficult to sign someone right away into let's say a year of contracts so one of the things we we actually have done this year also because of covid because it's impossible to predict uh, far into the future we kind of offer three month break clauses which which then it leads a nice way into the whole subscription relationship but it relieves the pressure from the from the brand of you know if you know whatever happens they have a way out I think that's been something that's hugely helped our business this year. So, yes, I, I get that. That's, that's a very clever move, especially in today's environment, Caroline, to have a, have a break clause. Just flipping it over to the corporate, um, have you found, you know, while you're doing this transition, have you found there's some, have you got any insights or tips for our um, listeners around ways that corporates have evolved over time when it comes to talking to you? Have they, have they changed the way they approach startups? Any, any, um, best practice you've seen from the corporate side of things? Yes, uh, I think definitely. We've seen quite a lot of changes when it comes to the actual onboarding process and simplifying that significantly. Often it's been something that's been pushed from the innovation teams. So they've almost created like a lightweight onboarding procurement process as long as the pilot remains below a certain amount of money. So that kind of it gives such a easy way to get input in the door. And then during that pilot phase, if things are looking good, then you can start having conversation about whatever additional steps are needed in, uh, in order to complete the process on a bigger scale. And scale. I imagine that's absolutely crucial because, you know, we've heard it in previous episodes that sometimes the procurement side of things can be a, a huge barrier. Yes, it can be. We've experienced it in the past where, you sometimes receive these huge Excel documents with questions where you, you know, you need to get a lawyer involved before you've even signed the contract. So I think, you know, narrowing these down into a two or three page document is a huge leap in that sense. And, and I'd, I'd say as well that in look at, looking at previous episodes, even if they can't narrow it down, some of our previous guests have said they'd rather be told up front that there is going to be a long winded process to go through. And even though that doesn't save time, save money, save effort, at least you're kind of pre-warned. Have you had corp- have you had companies pre-warn you that it's going to be a bit painful? Yes, we have. It has happened with a few and they have been upfront about it. And then we obviously plan that into launch schedules and things like that. So, yeah, if, if they can't shorten it, at least they'll normally tell you it's going to be painful. <laughs> so in a similar way, Caroline, you know, procurement is a big issue and it, it'd be great if corporates can streamline that process. But if not, at least pre-warn you that it, it's going to be slightly painful. But on a similar note, what's come up in previous episodes when they look at the corporate side is this the power of the advocate, the power of someone internally that a startup meets presents to and that person really does take it on board to help grow that startup's business from within that corporation have you, have you experienced that i'm just you know something like smarts a very impressive piece of kit i'd imagine it impresses quite a lot of people instantly have you, have you come into contact with you know said advocates who help you in your journey within that corporate yes we have in many cases and i think it's absolutely crucial because 
you need because you don't have visibility into their internal systems, which can be incredibly complicated and understanding how, how the you know different departments and relationships work. So having someone who advocates your business you know, persistently uh, is so, so important. And also making sure that you don't just have that one contact point. Make sure that person introduces to other people, try and get to, down to the decision maker as quickly as possible and kind of building almost a group of people uh, because what you need to remember is there's quite high turnaround in some of these companies and sales cycles are long. So even if you have this advocate, maybe they change jobs, then you're suddenly, you've lost it. So kind of, yeah, trying to network through as much as you can will increase your chances of getting through there. That's very interesting because that does happen and you get this churn rate. And the good thing is sometimes if an advocate moves to another company, then that can open a door for you in that, that, that other company. But at the same time, you're still left potentially with that that gaping hole in the current company where you've got to kind of go around again and get other people on board. So it's a really nice tip there about obviously working with the, the, the initial advocate, but looking to network and spread out as soon as you can within that company in a good way to to build other sponsors just in case certain people move on. So keeping then on the positive side of things, Caroline, have you got an example of, you know, a partnership that has really worked? You know, it's, it's really taken you places and, dare I say, has been a true catalyst for change. Is there, is there, is there a shining example of a, um, a corporate partnership that you've experienced where everything has gone right? Yes. So a couple of years ago, we were lucky enough to be chosen into the LVMH startup program, which they run in Paris, which then got us in front of a lot of brands within LVMH itself to build case studies. And actually from that, we got so much credibility in the industry that then we started getting a snowball effect of other brands in the luxury sector who look up to LVMH and obviously know that there's a very stringent selection process for companies who are part of this. So I think those kinds of things where you can be next to a well-respected corporate can be so important in positioning you completely different from some other companies in the space potentially. And I suppose it would be remiss not to ask the reverse question, which is, have you had examples of things not quite working out? Sorry to go from a very good to a bad, but have you had examples of things that haven't quite worked out? And, and if so, what, what's kind of happened there? What Any kind of learnings for our listeners about experiences that haven't quite gone as you wished? So the ones where we've struggled actually the most have been working in situations where there's a lot of middlemen in the process. So agencies would be an example of that because we are not the ones pitching the product to the client. And if our product is quite a niche product, I think maybe some of the messaging can go missing along the line. So there, I think, as a lesson would be perhaps to try and be more involved in the process, see like, can I be involved in the process of speaking directly to the end client who's going to be buying this product and supporting with that process rather than sort of saying sometimes two or three steps apart from from what's going on. Very interesting because I suppose at the end of the day, no one can pitch your product as well as you can and, and you can brief someone else and you can have many meetings of other people. But when it comes to that, that key moment where your your service has to be pitched to a client, a potential client, really you're the best person to be there doing that. Yeah, and I think that's also something actually even working with, with brands that we need to always remember, you know, if you're you're pitching to someone who is not the decision maker 
and they just walk away from it of, you know, okay, I'm going to talk to my boss about it. Don't just rely on them remembering what's being said. So arm them with the best possible material or if possible, ask if you can be present in that discussion as well. And that's something that we have definitely learned in the process. Very good. And is there anything on that note then, Caroline, that's, you know, you, you've learned as you go along and all these great learnings are coming out now. Anything that's really surprised you about working with corporates, good or bad? You know, looking back now, anything with all these experiences where you think, God, I, di- I, didn't, I didn't see that coming? I think maybe for me, because I never worked in a big company before starting the business, I underestimated, you know, understanding is not just, you know, we we're in a small team, we just do things, everyone talks to everyone. In bigger companies, you know, there's silos of communication, there's some internal politics and things like that. So I think having as much understanding as possible of what's going on on their side and viewing it as them and understanding, you know, what, why would someone want to do something? You know, is it because they maybe they can get a promotion off the back of a successful project or, you know, things like this of trying to understand how can, you know, you position it best for that person is very important. And like personally lacking experience in that in the beginning, I found it very difficult because I, I couldn't really think like them. So so now we've kind of had a lot of advice and help from other people who have been on the other side to, you know, refine the pitch and how we talk um, to align with that. Yes, it's really, really good insight there because once that meeting's over and, and said person from the corporate side needs to go away and in some cases sell it into their peers or their line manager, that they need to have the right material um, to be able to do that. And I'd even go one step further, and I don't know what your views are on this, but if that person doesn't have a chance to speak to someone and, dare I say, has to send them a PowerPoint deck or a presentation, it's important that that PowerPoint presentation or whatever format it's in is self-explanatory. Yeah, absolutely. Because I can imagine that, and, and this is really key, and it's something that I definitely condone as well, is just being very, very sure that what anything that's about your company, if someone was to look at it and have no idea what you're about, from looking at the slides on the PowerPoint deck, it's got to leave no room for error. It's got to really explain what your technology does and the advantages of it um, in, in clear daylight, rather than something that someone looks at, has questions, because no one's there to answer it, then it just gets closed and nothing happens. Yes, and another thing, over the years we have made our slides look simpler and simpler and simpler. There's less text, more visual. And I think that has also helped with what you were saying then of they're not going to sit down and start reading something really long and complex. They're going to take a two second glance at the thing and you have to get that core message across in that. So yeah, reducing text has also been something that we have worked on. Yes, and uh, I suppose before, before we go into the last question, before the listener question, Caroline, a question I ask all my guests, and I'll be very intrigued to know what your answer is because you know, we've, we've known each other for some time. Do you think, taking everything into account, do you think that corporates sorry, are, are starting to see the benefit of working with startups more? Do you think this, this, these partnerships are happening more now? They're more frequent? Do you think things are getting better generally between the two sides? Or do you think there's still loads of room for improvement what's what's your individual take on that so we've actually noticed something really interesting with our product perhaps because our product is something that 
when you just look at it very quickly, it looks pretty simple. You know, you watch a video, you click on something, the details come up and you can buy it. And quite a lot of companies have actually tried to build it in-house and they have then come to us with actually a lot more appreciation for the product once they have tried to do it and realized actually it's a lot more complicated. And I think there's these waves going through where I think there's a there's decision-making of should we do this in-house or should we work with a startup? But I think more and more realizing that actually the startup is an expert in this very niche area of product and they've done it for years. You can get it live within less than a couple of weeks. You know, the cost is going to be way less than you spending your in-house dev money on it. So, so I think it, it is definitely shifting quite a lot. But it is interesting to see corporates experimenting with some POCs in-house as well. It's a moving area, I think. But moving in the right direction, hopefully. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I fully agree. I think there's there's definitely movement. And, and it's very interesting what you say that sometimes there's still this mentality of not invented here, out there. So people feel they can build it themselves. But, you know, as you say, for many reasons, they, they can't. And and one thing that a corporate maybe doesn't have um, versus a startup is, is that agility and speed to turn things around quickly. Because the, the startup, as you say, has that expertise. So moving on from that in, in kind of a, a nice bridge into the last question before we go to a listener question is for our corporate listeners out there, what, what would you say are the main one or two benefits of working with a startup? What are the key selling points, USPs, about working with a startup? So I guess it kind of ties into what we said earlier with, you know, I think for corporates right now with everything, everything being online, testing things and understanding what works and what doesn't work for you at quick turnarounds is so important. You shouldn't spend, you know, years and years developing something in-house to then test it once it's no longer relevant. Um, so I think it's definitely speed to market, quick feedback, testing, and then make a decision on what you want to do with that going forward. Welcome to the part of the show where we look to answer a question from one of our listeners. This week, we have a question from Thomas, who is a founder in Germany. And Thomas's question is, we feel that we are struggling to gain business from outside of our home base. Do you have any tips to help us increase our conversion rate? And I think, Caroline, what Thomas is getting at here is sometimes when you sell technologies to a client, if you're from um, another country, sometimes clients are a little bit hesitant to take it on board because they like to have someone from that um, startup in the same country or close by just in case things go wrong. And for some companies, that's still a deal breaker. Can you provide any tips? Because I'm sure you've worked with loads of different clients who are from you know far field. Any tips on how to reassure clients and, and, and close that business? Yes. So three things I can think of now is, first of all, very important to really emphasize the simplicity of the setup process, because I think that's something they're always going to be nervous about, especially if they can't be there. And also not just the setup, but also kind of ongoing support that's available to them easily. Secondly, I think to reassure with this whole thing, we have found it very useful to be able to present other brands that we have worked with from that particular market before, because it does create sort of reassurance to them that you've done this before in that particular country. And we actually have also had 
instances where we have pulled in someone who speaks their language uh, to close the team, particularly for the technical implementation questions. Like we have happened to have these people within our actual team itself because we have quite an international team. But I think there certainly are, you know, concerns around language sometimes too. So it can make it feel safe by using those kinds of methods and getting it over the line. Superb. Really, really good tips there. And Thomas, I hope that helps you in your future pitches and and helps you to gain some more overseas business. So Caroline, thanks, thanks for that. Really, really great answer. And, you know, if you have a question that you would like to ask for future episodes, please email me at ken at thisisprogressive.com. And each episode, we will look to pick one to two questions to discuss live with our chosen guest. So Caroline, um, thank you again for being a guest on the show. And um, before, before we close, I just want to pick up some key learnings that you've mentioned in our conversation. And from the, from the startup side, I think some great learnings here for our startup listeners. One is sometimes be very clever with what you're offering clients, especially in today's environment. And Caroline mentioned this three month break clause. And if you're trying to sell a SaaS or a subscription model, sometimes having that safety net of a three month break could actually be the small thing, which makes you gain that business. There was a great insight around advocates. Yes, it's fantastic getting an advocate and it's not easy to get an advocate. But when you do get an advocate, don't stop there. Still look to go outside of that advocate or get that advocate to introduce you to other people that will help you grow your business. And as importantly, if that initial advocate moves on, you've still got sponsors internally to help you grow within that company. Really, really think um, about the empathy of the individual was a key insight Caroline came up with. So when you're presenting to people, trying to put yourself in their shoes Try and help them to take your information forward internally and and help selling your service. And then finally, on that note, provide the best possible material you can, material that is self-explanatory. So if anyone within the corporate world picks up or connects with your product, they get it straight away and they can make a decision based on what they see rather than thinking, I don't understand it, let's park that for now. So some really good tips there on the startup side. And for our corporate listeners, some really good insights. But the main one that came out for me, and I know it's easier said than done, but is really think ahead about the process that startups will have to go through in your company. So if there's any way at all that you can streamline that process, that will make a huge difference to the success of that partnership. And and if you can't, and I appreciate it's not easy, um, if you can't, the next best thing is to say to the startup, look, just to warn you, you know, we're a big company and there's quite a few forms and documents to be filled out, but we just want to give you um, pre-warning up front. So some great learnings there. And, and, you know, Caroline, as I mentioned at the start, this is our last episode of the series, but it's been great to finish with yourself. Thank you very much again for your time today. We, we managed to get you on. Really appreciate your time and, and really enjoyed the conversation. And thank you so much for having me. No problem at all. No problem, Caroline. So, um, If you want to speak to Caroline or contact Caroline, we will have her full social media details on the notes to this podcast episode. And that's it for this episode. And that's it for this series. We've had 15 great podcast interviews. I've really enjoyed all the conversations with our guests. And I want to say thank you to all of our listeners and everyone who's provided a huge amount of feedback on on the whole series and we're going to take all of that into account and we're going to come back in february next year with series two of the catalyst podcast Um, we're going to get some great guests on we're going to change the format slightly but it's going to be great and i really want to thank everyone for staying with us in this first series and i hope you have a great christmas and i look forward to catching up with you again next year and it goes without saying 
to say that please subscribe to the series. Please rate us. Please leave a review on your chosen podcast platform and all contributions are very much appreciated. Thank you very much.